Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Woo-wee. Guys, I, I don't say this often. Colin sometimes says, I think this is going to be our best Tuesday show ever. And then he says it next week. He's winking at us. I don't say like this. This is the best non-football pod of the calendar year. 12 months, best non We had some great football pods, but this one, over two hours, jam-packed with info. Not a lot of digressive stories. So I'm going to make this one quick so you can get right to it. A lot of action, a lot of action, as a Fez says. NBA, NHL playoffs, MLB. You got to bet it. If you're betting, you got to bet it somewhere. Bet DSI. Now, we got a special offer. It's Bell 101. B-E-L-L 101. That's a promo code. What do you get? 100% bonus match. So we've talked about Bet DSI a lot. 20 years in the business. Payouts. All the good things. Now you got a special offer. If you're playing now, you might as well have another out. And even if you're going to wait till football, you won't really be waiting till football. Today we had another week one NFL pick. Betting those, if you wait until September to bet those, you're making a mistake. If you want to bet them now, you're locking in the best number. And if you look at Fezzik, especially over the years, and we're talking years, when he has an early NFL game, it the line moves against you, meaning you get a worse line if you play it later, like 80-plus percent of the time. If you're playing football now, or even if you're not, you're going to start playing football in July. It's not that far off. We don't know how long this offer is going to last. 100% bonus match. Use promo code BELL101. That's BetDSI.com. On to the show. Welcome to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. That's right. And it's a special NBA Conference Final Playoff Edition. And it's a jam-packed show. And a jam-packed Wise Guy Roundtable. To my left, Brad Powers. To my right, Steve Fezzik. I'm R.J. Bell. Guys, I mean, it's May. This is the time Fezzik usually starts taking vacation. But I tell you something. This is probably the most jam-packed show for info. If you like the NBA. And by the way, at the end, we get the rarity of rarity. Brad Powers, the guy with all the college knowledge, has an NFL week one pick. Now, we were talking about it. And one of the things we don't want to do is give you guys a ton of early football stuff because some of you are batting it. A lot of you ain't. Maybe more, you know, our guess is 20% of you bat it, 80% don't get involved in football till July. So what I promise you is come July on the Dream Preview, we are going to be nothing but pretty much a little baseball, but previewing football, Brad over unders conference stuff, Fez <clears throat> NFL stuff out the wazoo 
For now, we're going to be judicious with it. But when Brad Powers comes in, first time in history, is this true? Yeah, I don't remember ever giving one out like this. He loves it that much. That's his best bet. Fez has a bet I love, love in game two of the Western Conference Finals as his best bet. But Brad actually came in with a sound drop to explain why he thinks his pick makes sense. I like to have a little something going every day. Maybe nothing big, but a little daily recreation don't hurt anybody. So even though, you know, you're not betting any NBA right now, you just had to get a little action in. Yep. Let's be let's be honest. All right, no time to waste. Showtime! Woo! Let's talk about the draft. A lot of ways to look at this. First off, let's be quantify mathematically. There were some serious adjustments. Usually to me in a draft, I'm so skeptical in the NFL that we know who's going to be good. In the NBA, though, it's obviously not a science. A number one pick, especially one like Zion, you know, what's the chance of him being a bust? To me, it's still 20%. I mean, you look at, um, I always forget his name, Odom from Ohio State. Was that his name? Odin, Greg. Odin. Odin. Yep. He was taken ahead of Durant. And I'll be honest with you, it was consensus. Those that were around, Bill Simmons was the one guy that said Durant, give him credit. It was almost like no one could even think about Durant. Well, in hindsight, Odin limped his way. You know, he made some money, but didn't make many buckets. So it's not a sure thing even in the NBA, but it's a much higher probability. Fez, you've got the odds changes of the, the big changes, and uh, they're significant. Yeah, so New Orleans was 300 to 1. to that's, that's the odds in Vegas that you could bet on them to win next year's NBA title. New Orleans, the expectation was, oh, Anthony Davis, more than likely going to be leaving. This team has no chance at all to win the title. Now, New Orleans' number one pick. So the expectation is they're going to get Zion. Hopefully Zion will want to play for New Orleans. As long as that can come to fruition, all of a sudden New Orleans has some chance to win the title because they'll have some chance to sign AD as well. New Orleans odds blink. RJ, it, New Orleans is 25 to 1. So they went from 300 to 1 all the way down to 25 to 1. Went from the worst odds, tied for the worst odds in the NBA to being one of the top 10 choices to winning the NBA title. I always like hearing that talk. I think about top third of the league now. Now you said a couple things I'm not sure I agree with, but one I, I, I really don't agree with. Is signing Zion, the or I'm sorry, is signing AD now the only way that they're competitive? Well, they'll be competitive. Well, competitive for a title. I think to be competitive for a title, realistically, yes. Okay, so you don't think, because it seems to me, the old sell, uh, you know, and again, this is Bill Simmons, trade a dollar, which is, let's say, the complete player, the superstar, for three quarters. Whereas not only aren't you getting full value, you're getting it in three separate players. And though it feels like you're getting almost the right value, really... The, the concept of replacement level comes in. Well, if you got three players, the question is then, oh, this guy gets a, you know, if you have 24-point score, trading for three guys eight points a game, oh, 24 and 24. Except 
what would a replacement player score? Would they score six? And if so, you're getting a plus two, plus two, plus two. You're gaining six points over replacement value. But then your guy might be 20 points over replacement value. Because think about Anthony Davis versus, you know, generic center X. There's a huge difference. Boban. If you, if you have three guys that are just above replacement, that's the trades that used to happen. It feels like that if any of the reports about the Lakers offer this past season before the deadline were even close to correct, it seems like it was a hell of an offer. Can you, uh, are you sure Anthony Davis is more valuable than what they were on? It felt like I'm not, I thought the Lakers not only were giving up too much as in, boy, the marketplace used to be, you don't give up near the, I'm saying maybe that, the Pelicans would have got the best of the trade. Yeah, but part of it's back-ended because, remember, the Lakers were offering number one pick next year and the following year in the potential trade. So the whereas you could make the case that it was a wash. But those were like throw-ins. Yeah, throw. they were offering like on top of those draft picks, Fez. They were offering like four, five, six players. I understand, but those draft picks, even if it was an even trade dollar to a dollar, those future draft picks aren't going to help but me win the title next year. What we're saying is those draft picks weren't the key. If if a team said, I mean, look at the Celtics. They want, you know, and then the question is, does Davis want to go anywhere but the Lakers? And does it, are you just renting him one year a la Kawhi Leonard potentially? Because mm-hmm. then the guy's worth a lot less. If you think you're going to sign him, he's worth a lot more, right? So when I, and you guys can tell me and uh, anyone in the control room, if they got any recollection of this, but I've heard crazy trades from the Celtics that it was like, including Tatum and like, like two, like, like not both Brown and Tatum, but like Tatum and two other really good. Rozier. Yeah. Well, I think he's a free agent this year, but uh, yeah, let's make sure we're talking about what we know about with this stuff. Why don't you stick to what you know? And listen, here's the thing is I don't know either. Like in a weird way, being a sports fan, that's thinking about all these hypothetical trades versus being a professional batter like you are, Fez, it's two different things. And the guys that are professional batters that know that stuff, I always find that they have a little less knowledge in the other arena. So no blame on this, but I just want to be clear. I don't know if anyone has any of the insight, but some of these trades were like, wow, they're getting a ton. And I guess that's the question. Are the Pelicans keeping Davis versus some of the trades that's been out there? I'm just not sure even in the short term, understanding some of it is. But listen, is there any real sense that the, and if we're looking at this year's odds, yeah, obviously a trade, uh, a draft choice next year doesn't help. But in general, if you got a few, you know, Davis has, how old is Davis? 25, 26? Oh, he's older than that. Came out of the 2012, was the number one pick. Yeah, but he came out after his freshman year, right? Mm-hmm. So he was 19, seven years, so 26. Brad's looking it up. But in theory, if you're taking care of yourself, I mean, I think we saw LeBron at 33. 26. When, okay. So LeBron at 33, not last year, but the year before, had one of his best years ever. 
right? So let's agree that you might start seeing a little drop if you take decent care of yourself at 33, 34, right? And then those guys can play to 36, 37, the better guys. Well, Davis has five, six rock solid best. Of, in fact, you would expect the next five or six years to be better than his first yep. five or six, right? Mm-hmm. And Zion obviously is going to get better as time passes. So in a weird way, the Pelicans would be making a mistake to obsess over getting a bunch of players now. Whereas, hey, give us two or three good players now and a couple of draft choices. Well, this team could be the best team in the league at some point. Right or wrong? They could be. Correct. I know it's possible, but do you generally agree with the concept? Yes. And just looking back two years ago lest we forget how good the Pelicans were. They, in the first round of the playoffs, they were playing Portland. They were the underdog. Portland, But, but team, they had Boogie at that point, right? Or was he hurt at that point? I think he was hurt. I'm almost certain. I, I believe he was injured, and I, I know they swept Portland 4-0, and that was a darn good team just two years ago. So, to me, the question is, now, first off, there's a chance Zion doesn't want to go there, and we're hearing a little rumblings of that. I don't. And he could go back to Duke, right? Yeah, Boogie was hurt. Boogie was hurt, and yeah. Zion could go back to Duke. He has not signed with an agent yet, so he theoretically could go back to Duke. Also, you got to wonder. Let's say he doesn't go back to Duke, but he doesn't want to go to the Pelicans. If he plays in some, like if he, how much would it be worth him playing in that three on three league? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Because the interesting thing is if you're Nike, now he hasn't signed the shoe deal yet, right? No, we would have heard that. All right. So if you're Nike, would you get more attention from Zion doing something like hardly anyone's ever done and going to that three on three league for a year? Wouldn't he? Wouldn't he get more attention? Because mm. I get it. the first summer league game he's in is going to be the lead on Sports Center. His first game in in October. But assuming the Pelicans aren't all that great this year, even with him, and let's say that they do trade AD and they get back some future, you know. He's a rookie. So Pelicans are 500 maybe. I mean, that's interesting. The trade you heard from the Lakers. And again, now who knows? Ingram's got the health issue, whatever. But that trade goes down with Zion. What is the over-under for the Pelicans? Win total, 82 games. I'm saying 41 is generous. Yeah, I was thinking 39 and a half. They won 34 games. Throwaway year. You could argue they were tanking this year, but they only won 34. So even if they exceed your expectations, they're slightly above 500. Yes. How much attention are they getting? Very little because we know the NBA is a league where it seems like every single night, what, who are we watching? The top six teams, right? And I'm sure that they would find three or four Thursdays to put the Pelicans sure. up. But if he's in that three-on-three, that seems like it's all people are talking about. And that might be an exaggeration, but it does seem like a hell of a cure. And I'm not saying he'd prefer that, but as long as Nike's paying him that money or whoever he signs with, he doesn't need the money. He he could go one less year. And again, that three-on-three league, 
know, what does a what does the number one rookie pick make? <laughs> I'm not saying they could match it, but what I'm saying is they they might. Oh, Daryl, what you got? So there's an age limit um, to the big three. You have to be at least 27 years old. So he couldn't play in the big three. Boy, you just ruined a hell of a, a take. <laughs> hey, man, I'm sorry. About but let that. me ask you a question, all joking aside. This league is an out. I mean, what is it? Ice T's running the league or something? <laughs> Ice Cube. <is>. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't think they could say, hey, there's a waiver for this guy and he's the one because it's a unique circumstance. And we think the NBA is trying to oppress him. Right. We're going to give him the freedom to decide where he wants to work. He'd be better off playing in uh, LeVar Ball's JBA. Oh, imagine that. Whatever it is. Right. I hear you. But it just financially, how much does the number one pick make? Can you look that up, Daryl? Because it's not 20 million dollars. I wonder if it's even 10. The, the it looks like a hundred thousand dollars a year for what for if you make the one of these teams that's what the the legends oh, oh, are making oh well yeah but again they would make exceptions for him remember they all, wasn't it the the defunct what was that the AAF the Alliance of American Football but didn't they offer wasn't there somebody they were offering crazy money to Ka- well Kaepernick asked okay, for yeah. ten mil okay they yeah. turned him down. But what I'm saying is they would have paid Kaepernick probably 10 times anyone else that they were paying. Yes. Yep. What we got? About roughly about five and a half million a year. Now that's, now listen, that's real money. I'll take it. Guaranteed for five years. But we're only talking one year here, right? Is if he sat out one year and, and he, you don't think that that big three or whatever it's called, you don't think they'd come up with three mil? I'm sure they would. Ice Cube would take it out of his own stat. He'd take a few bricks out of the vault. Plus a part of the company. <laughs> yeah. So they probably, yeah. I mean, they. so in a way that the Nike money is going to dwarf his contract initially, right? Now, once you're making 25, 30 mil, it's a different story. And again, I don't know the Zion personality, but if you're one of those fight, fight the power kind of guys, because there is a debate. There was a baseball guy I've always thought was sharp. Joe Sheehan, I think his name is. And he had this thing that said that the NBA, NFL, or I don't know about baseball because he didn't mention it, but their draft rules, the, uh, the rules of the game we're playing are, you know, I don't think he used the word unconstitutional, but it was like egregious exploitive and the theory being what other high level employee or any employee really doesn't get to decide where he wants to work. Mm. Right now the debate is the MBA is the employer and the teams are the departments. Mm. So if you go and sign with IBM and they tell you, oh, by the way, if you sign with us, you're going to Alabama or, you know, some some place that doesn't have a lot of culture or whatever. Let, let's just say small area. And you either decide I want to go to IBM or I'm going to go to some alternative. They're telling you, Zion, you're going to be working in New Orleans. 
But the thing is, it doesn't feel like that because there's no real alternative. And the USFL, we kind of say in hindsight, was goofy or whatever, or like, ah, think back, Faz, you're old enough to, I mean, you were in your 30s, right, when USFL was? Oh, jeez. You can remember this, is th- there was some years it felt like they saying ha- they signed half of the, the, the best players. The Herschel Walker, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Steve Young, I mean, so, they, but they were signing a lot of guys. At that point, you could make the case you're choosing NFL, you're choosing USFL. Now, NBA versus what, right? And that other what is 18 levels lower. But if it's about money, the Nike money makes it where it's irrelevant. So, if so, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. I actually do believe even if somehow the Pelicans got equal value back and they did get it this year where it wasn't some future consideration, I still think AD and Zion would be unique. And here's why. In the modern era, the Golden State era of the NBA, the theory is small ball. And if you've got a guy on the court, no matter how tall he is, that can't shoot a three and can't defend the perimeter, you're a dinosaur and we're going to run you off the court. Is that fair to say? Very fair. Yes. And how many players are there that can protect the rim, that can score inside, even with their back to the basket if they needed to, but they can score inside, get rebounds, but also not be a liability on the outside. Is there five or six of them in the league? I mean, I'm no X's and O's guys, but we would we would put Giannis on that list, right? Yep. As you're nodding on radio. Durant? Yeah, except Durant is tall enough, but he's not he's not an inside player. He's just a very tall three or whatever you want to call him. So I don't think Durant's on that list, right? I'm saying Durant can't play center for any extended period of time. Fair enough. Yeah, he's right? a forward. But Giannis can play center, yeah, right? Yeah, Giannis is just a monster. I mean, he's got a wingspan of like 7'4". Exactly. So uh, that that Towns guy from Minnesota. Carl he, Anthony Towns. Yeah, does he, he feels like one of those guys, right? Mm, I, I, can he play center? He, he feels a little bit more like a traditional center to me. But he certainly is 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 super mobile, wouldn't you yeah, say? Yeah, he's he's absolutely. Well, that's that's exactly what I'm looking at a true a guy that could play. Brad, what do you think? Oh, the Joker's one. Yeah, Jokic yeah. is a great example. He can do everything. Boy, I don't know if I'm just you know having bias, just looking and but but is he mobile? Is he that? Is he that mobile on the he, outside? He is. RJ, they sometimes have the Joker, Jokic. Take the ball up against pressure when they're pressing. All right, all right. So how many others do we have? I mean, there might be a few, but we're talking about a handful. And thus, in theory, let's just say there's seven. Well, even if none of them are on the same team, which they wouldn't be. Now, Anthony Davis is one of these, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously. Yep. That means 23 teams don't have it, seven do. Now, wouldn't we say that Zion would meet that criteria? Again, there's not an absolutely <laughs> Zion. It has all the skill set. the The only concern with Zion 
is that he's so big right now. I'd like to know that he get. He, I would like to see him get a little bit fitter. I mean, he's a very so says the fifty-five year old. He says the fifty-five year old, two hundred twenty pound guy. Yes. <laughs> Quit being so lazy. Okay, <laughs> but but imagine if two of those players are on the same team. You know, the old Twin Towers, except both these guys can defend the rim. Imagine you having two guys. So now you try to run some offense where you bring out, because let's be honest, what, what's Golden State going to try to do against Milwaukee if that ends up being the final? Is there going to, because Golden State gets a lot of layups too, right? It's three-year layup for them is their their goal. They do struggle against rim protectors, but usually that rim protector can't guard on the outside, so now they get them that way. They don't drive as much. They shoot more outside. But, well, I'm sorry, in this case, if they make them go out, they drive a lot more. Sure. It stays in. They shoot. It's almost like the option. They let. They have one key is if that lumbering center is down low, we're, we're going to find a shot out here. And if he's not, we're going inside. The rim protector has gone. If you got two of those guys, they can't get both of them. You'd always have it when they're both on the floor. You'd always have a rim protector. Mm. And there'd be yep. no detriment. There'd be no problem on defense. Yeah, you can guard. Those guys can both guard the perimeter. I mean, it's the best of, of options in terms of what you can do and how schematically how you play against a given opponent. And you'd have a quality, a center that can go outside. Defensively is the key. A lot of those lumbering guys can shoot outside. The idea that you'd have two of eight guys in the league that can do this very unique thing Boy, a good coach could 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 do something with that, I think. You hadn't thought of this, have you, Brad? No, I'm not. You know, I'm thinking about this more and more. I'm thinking about Portland, like with Enos Cantor, who's like this big monster, and he's great in the paint as far as being a goalie. But on these pick and rolls, it's like he's just leaving guys wide open to bomb away from three because he's just not quick enough, you know, to be able to make the right switches. Agreed. So it's going to be interesting. If I were involved with the Pelicans... Even if I owned him, I'd go personally to Anthony Davis and say, what is the problem? And whatever the problem is, fix it. Meaning if he, if he said, I, I, you're the problem, I would then sell the team. With an eye towards Anthony Davis committing that, hey, you sell the team to so-and-so, I'm staying. I figure I'm selling that team for another three, four, five hundred million dollars. Because you're going to have those two together for five, six, seven years. I mean, let's say we knew for a fact that Zion and AD were going to both play for the Pelicans the next 10 years. And I said, Fez, in the next 10 years, and 10 is probably not optimal, let's say seven. In the next seven years, I want you to stack rank the teams you would want before the Pelicans when it came to number of titles where our goal is to pick the team that's going to win the most titles in the next seven years. Are the Pelicans one of the top five teams if we knew they were playing together? I got to think about this. Really? I think they are. I think I so, I don't too. even have to think. I think so, too. I think so. I mean, because the, the youth, it, the thing about Davis is we're forgetting. Even Brad said, oh, he seems over on that. I mean, just instinctually, yeah. he's been around. Right? He's only 26. Exactly. This is when, and he just didn't even play. He didn't play this year. So in theory, with the miles on his legs, it's probably only half a year. 
right? Because LeBron is an older 33 or 34 because of his miles. You know, not to mention they're in the weak West instead of the loaded well, East. Knows? But who knows how that changes over it time. Sure, right? It sure has the last two years, hasn't it? It always does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm RJ Bell. Steve Fezzik, Brad Powers, pregame.com, the dream preview. Okay. The Knicks. Now, listen, you guys know bookies are bad. Bookies are bad. Alliteration style. Fez, I maybe saw the most egregious thing I've ever seen. The New York Knicks odds to get the number one pick. You know, this was all mathematically determined. So before the draft, before before the the lottery, before the lottery, New York, Cleveland and Phoenix all had a 14% chance to get the number one pick in the lottery. So you could bet on this and their true odds. If you offered them at six to one, the house edge was small, 2%. So that's what was a more than but, fair, but with a mathematical certainty. With a mathematical certainty, there's no case you could make for the odds to be other than a little bit higher than six to one. Yep. And so they're all all three teams should have been offered at six to one. And Cleveland was offered at six to one. Phoenix was offered at six to one. But somehow the bookies, New York Knicks, only were they they were only offering three and a half to one. 43% below what they should have been at six to one. So if we just said, what's the theoretical hold, right? So at roulette, if I am drunk, if Brad's on one of his benders, <laughs> are you drinking? No. So you don't even have a sip. Mm-mm. Wow. This dude's serious. Yep. All right. Let's say back in the day. Yeah. Brad's on one of his benders <laughs> and he, st- he walks up. He's with a girl. I'm not saying she's a pro. I'm saying, you know, because really, if, you, if if he's buying her dinner, if he's helping her with her rent, is she a pro? Yeah, if there's girls involved, I might have a sip. Oh, she yeah. Did. But what I'm saying is even yeah. back in the day yeah. when you were tearing it down. Remember, many might remember on Entourage where they went into the club and pulled out a couple of strippers. They're hanging out and Johnny goes, I don't pay for sex. I don't pay for sex. And then finally they watch a movie. Vince in Vince's screening room and she goes, he goes, all right, baby, let's go upstairs and have some fun. She goes, no, I can't. I got so much on my mind. It's like, what's wrong? Oh, my rent's due tomorrow. <laughs> I owe, you know, $1,100. And Johnny goes, all right, baby, I got you covered. She goes, really? All right, let's go have fun. Now, listen, I'm not saying the girl with Brad in this hypothetical was a pro. I'm just saying that Brad was helping in this hypothetical was helping with the rent. He's, he's trying to impress her. He stumbles up. He stumbles up, puts it on seven for whatever reason is Brad Power seven. He puts it on there. What is Brad's theoretical loss? It's mindless. It's He's drunk. There's no thought to it. It's random. What's his theoretical loss? 5.26%. He knows that right off the cuff. I love wow. that. Well, it's because if you put it on every number. No, no, Fez, I understand the math. I'm saying the fact that you know it. Yeah. All right. Now that assumes how many zeros? Two, two, a zero and a double zero. Okay. Now, do they have any one zeros in, in Vegas anymore? They do. I can't recall where, but uh, that it's, would a 20, it's a $25 minimum bet, though. Okay, but that would cut it in half, right? Yes. And then I've heard some places have three zeros. Yeah, now. three zeros is becoming... Yeah, the um, five a, isn't enough. Okay. Yes. All right, so if a drunk baby flipped coins and bet NFL 
and you're laying 110, what's the Theo against you? 4.54%. Okay. If you're a New York Knicks fan and had bet the Knicks to win the lottery, what was the hold? 43%. Wow. So... 10 times as much as the drunk baby betting NFL games. Imagine the drunk baby sitting on the roulette table. <laughs> like, like imagine that's an interesting question, right? Cause there's all kind of famous stories that if a guy is, or a gal in theory, but guys are the ones that tend to do this are losing so much money, you know, hundreds of thousands, there's nothing they won't let them do. Like if they want the, Literally, if they said, I'm only going to accept dealers that do the chicken dance every time I get a blackjack, like they got to squawk and move their arms like wings. Would you agree, Fez, most most casinos would accommodate? Oh, absolutely. And this is documented, I think, what Steve Sear in the Whale Hunt in the Desert talks about this. Like, give an example. Um, one, I think one player was allowed to use the bathroom in the VIP room, not the bathroom, but just just, just go just, in just the- Just pee in the corner. In yeah, the pee plants. in the corner with the plant. Yes. Okay. So there you go. Now, if you're that level player- <laughs> Is this real? Yeah. Well, Yeah. <laughs> Daryl's from Atlanta. There's a lot of things he's got to learn here. <laughs> now, imagine if you're that level player and you said, I have a, a, a one and a half year old and he's my lucky charm. And I want you and his diapers to allow him to sit <laughs> on the roulette spread. And I'm going to give him chips and there's going to be like a bunch of thousand dollar chips and he's just going to randomly, you know, I don't, you might think it's random, but I think he's, there's a merit, you know, there's a rhyme and reason to it. And wherever he puts those chips, we'll pick them up, roll it and then set them down again. And we'll do that for a while. What do you think they'd say? <laughs> well, they would, they would say yes. Other than the gaming <laughs> violation of children under 21, they could lose their gaming license. But, he, but he's license. not gambling. Can't have children in the gaming areas. What really, do you mean? they're walking. I see kids walking through there all the walking time. Walking through. Stop, stop with the child, and you will. It will not take long all for right. them to so come imagine, running. So imagine they go up and have a. Wouldn't they open up a suite upstairs, bring up a roulette wheel, and let it happen upstairs? Oh yes. Imagine that they would put in a temporary room <laughs> with a crib, right? With a with a, a second wheel to get past the gaming rules. I mean, you think? I mean, Daryl thought we were yeah. kidding. We're not kidding. I mean, because think about it. If he's batting, let's just say ten thousand a spin. That's like they're winning five hundred dollars. Every time every the spin. ball comes down. Yeah, I mean, they there's you can do a lot of things. If you're, you know, what is it? How many spins in an hour? 60 maybe? Oh, on roulette? No, like 20. 20. It's slow. Okay, so you make it'd be 10,000 an hour. Yeah, maybe 60 on blackjack, 60 hands an hour. Yeah, but it'd be 10,000 an hour of Theo to let that baby play roulette. <laughs> can, can buy a lot of new cribs with that, yes. Okay, so no matter how dumb you are, oblivious you are, a baby has less than 5%. I mean, there's very few casino games over like six, right? Kino's 18, but yes, you're correct. I mean, slots you, are like 10. Some slots, but you get the, you get the right video poker machine. that has the right payouts. You're, you're less than three, right? Yeah. You're less than one. Actually. Yeah. Right. So what I'm saying is 
I could write advice on the back, uh, or you would be better at this, Fez, on the back of a napkin. Don't play Keno. Don't, if you play po- video poker, it's this. And literally, if I just followed that napkin's advice, I could avoid anything above probably even 4%, right? Oh, absolutely. There's all, I mean, not saying just, you know, go play craps and don't pass or whatever, but I'm saying with very simple, avoid these things, a vast majority of the floor is less than five. Yeah, the casino the would... theoretical loss. Yes, the casino would not be able to make enough money to pay for their nut, their expenses, if everyone just played these games that had small house advantages. Okay, and now we have... And something that's supposed to be fun. And that's the thing. What do we think the hold was or the handle for the betting on the draft? I mean, it had to be less than a random baseball game that day. Absolutely. People putting five, ten dollars down for fun that we're watching it. But somehow, some way, <laughs> they say with the Knicks, because we know there's a bunch of Knicks fans. We're going to take that edge from 2% on the other teams, which is more than fair. 5%, 7 I'm fine with, if it's a prop, to over 40? Gouging. That's a good word. Now, it'd be easy for me to say this and move on. Cockroaches. Cockroaches, yeah. This wasn't one book. Great point. It was like every book. I, we couldn't <laughs> find anything better in Plus 350. We looked at like 20 books online. Now, Fez, before you really understood the depth of my wisdom, <clears throat> and one, one of the things that Tom says, who runs sales for me, but I've known Tom for 30 plus years, married now 13 years with my wife, married for 11. She says the following. He says, Whatever you think of RJ, as time passes, you see that what he thought years ago is right. Like a, I'll call it an crazy amount of time, but that's what they say. I'm quoting, I'm quoting. I'm very humble. I mean, it comes up. Sometimes I try to puff my chest and, you know, and like, I'll do this. Talking about the great one, RJ Bell. But that's just me playing. My true nature is humility. He's the one, he's the only RJ Bell. Again, I don't want to play that. It's expected of me. Fez, I'm my I'm naturally humble. Now, does that feel right to you? It does. And who better to talk to than the founder for pregame.com? You know? Well, you and you know, to to all the listeners out there, and this is a really a valid point, RJ. RJ Bell is one of the legends in the game of sports betting. Is that John Taffer? Yeah. Love it. Bar rescue. The um, uh, sports betters rescue. RJ, how many times have we gone ahead and, and like in pre-show prepping and the like? And, and That's a good ear. And you'll say, I don't want that we think it's that we're 99% sure we're I right. Go. Let's go check it. The Coward Global Satellite Network, RJ Bell. Pregame.com. I don't want to play that. Fast. You're putting your reputation on the line and you know, get the number right. Absolutely. And, and it, listen, the audience shows a lot of faith in us. We got to work for them. And you guys, and it's funny, Faz, that probably the biggest feedback we get beyond people loving the show. And we, you know, we, and, and by the way, if you love the show, please, a way you can help that takes like, you know, 
40 seconds, go to iTunes, give us a vote, five stars. We've got many, many votes. We're like a 4.9 or something. I hate that. I like being a five. So I don't think, I guess once you're avert, once you lose, I guess once you get anything but a five star, you're going to be below five, but we love those votes. So thank you so much. If you do like the show, hopefully, why would you be listening if you didn't? Hate listening. I guess there's a small minority. I'll tell you, Fez, you used to love, before all the wisdom, you used to love to try to kiss up to the bookies. Is that like, be honest with yourself because you know you were being disingenuous. Well, I like it. I likened it to preserving my longevity, being able to wage you had, you had an agenda. So you were smiling to their face. Peace and love, peace and love. And then you were just snarly and, and, and spiteful behind their back. At times. Mm-hmm. 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 When you weren't asleep. Yes. <laughs> All right. So you've kind of figured out you can't win these cockroaches over, right? I have figured it out. And I've become, I have to be honest, I've become jaded. When I came to Vegas, there was like 22. <laughs> there were like 22 independent books. Everybody had their own book. The... I would go, I would walk up the down escalator at the Imperial Palace when I was walking up and down the strip just to run up there for their props. And then I'd go. A young Fez. A young Fez. I I mean, it was. He didn't even have his hairpiece at that point. You could hit eight different books just on foot just by doing around Caesar's Palace, just going circular. But yeah, before the hairpiece, I had the real hair. And. It's real. And now you go up and down and every single book is either a Harris or an MGM. I miss the old days. Yeah, but you're talking about corporate consolidation i'm talking about that these bookmakers and and we've said this a hundred times so i'll say it quickly the media in vegas pre uh you know the supreme court ruling which anniversary was just this week a year it was such there was a couple of people writing either for the rj or they had a big enough following on online that you literally could buy. I mean, listen, as old as there has been press, it's companies trying to buy, but not explicitly, not bribes. I mean, it happened that way too, but hey, you get to go to this conference every year, Wall Street Journal reporter on us if we think you're fair with us. And oh, by the way, we will feed you some stories about our competitors. And oh, by the way, when you're there, there's going to be a knock at the door, a la Wall Street, and some girl you've never seen that's 23 is going to come in with some Coke if you want it, and you guys can have some fun. Now, it's not sad, but lo and behold, you're at the conference, the girl comes, hey, this is what happens if you're a, you know, you know she'll say, yeah, Teddy told me to take care of you, and Teddy's a guy you know over at the company. Now, you can't prove that she means that guy. <laughs> That's as old. I mean, you look at billions, they represent that very well. Now, listen, obviously it's a drama. Obviously it's over the top. But billions, <laughs> pretty much everything they talk about is a dramatized version of the truth. All right. But unfortunately here, <laughs> literally there wasn't hookers with, with blow. <laughs> it was warm room temperature bologna sandwiches with Wonder Bread. And room temperature Coca-Cola. Oh, oh! well, you couldn't get that stuff cold. Come on. That's for the paying customers. I mean, I don't listen. I don't. 
and it's not even personal with these guys. It's it's in a way it's their job. If you could buy good press for warm bologna sandwiches, wouldn't you? I don't blame them. Now, what I do blame bookies for is things like this price gouging when there's not even a lot of money to be made. Now, I've always said when we hire new guys or gals, and I, I actually have a bias to hiring girls because there's so many guys in this business. If in the back office, if we can, you know, the more gals there are, I just think it helps our perspective, right? Because in a way, we're so used to this stuff that, you know, a guy like Daryl, our new executive producer, he doesn't know the gambling business. He thought when we were tempting him away from a morning show, the number one morning show in Atlanta, that he was producing and doing four hours on air. He moved his whole life out to be part of Straight Out of Vegas, part of the podcasts we're doing. One of his concerns was, well, I don't really know gambling. And to me, I said, that's a huge positive. We got the gambling covered. Now you're going to, you know, we want you to learn the basics, understand spreads under, but other than that, you trying to handicap the NBA game. <laughs> Come on. Right. So you you could, you could have spent a third of your life betting sports and you, you wouldn't be halfway there to what you got to be to, Talk, you know, to be Fezzik, but forgetting all of that, the, 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 the pricing on this, it, it, 40-some percent, there wasn't that much money to make. And to me, I'm often asked when I have somebody, and I guess I'll double back to this, when we hire somebody new, is if they're out of the business, meaning they're not an industry type. Fez, you've been around. We brought you in. You weren't worried. You saw pregame and said, well, Jesus, they, I don't know if they're doing anything wrong, but it seems to be a lot less than most everyone else. So, you know, what our integrity wasn't a concern coming in, right? Anyone in this business, I think, see, they can disagree with stuff we do, but in general, integrity is something that the, the, the foundation of it is so clear with what we do. It's not a concern. Absolutely. And that's why I, well, I appreciate that. But I wasn't even, but go ahead say it quickly, but I, I wasn't looking for you to affirm that. Well, I think the number one thing that I really liked was you all always said, Hey, you know what? Winning is difficult. We work hard to win, but le- never let me make it sound like winning is easy. And I do think that's key for those that are l- like other info sources. If they tell you it's hard, they might have some good stuff. They tell you it's easy run the other way because they're lying, all right? But to me, what, what ends up happening is when I talk to, you know, potential employees, um, it is often a concern of theirs, the idea that, that oh, I haven't been in an industry like this. You know, what, 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 you know, they saw two for the money maybe, or they just hear gamblers, man, they're, you know, they're kind of scuzzy, right? They'll stab you in the back for 20 bucks. That's always a concern. And then you think about these bookmakers. And, and, and I think about my answer to that question. I always say this, listen, look at my resume. I had really serious options in the conventional world, right? And, you know, if you get accepted into multiple Ivy League law schools, you've got options. I chose this career. Now, we can sit and judge, you know, what is the philosophy 101? 
your baby's starving. Do you steal or do you let your baby starve? Stealing's wrong, but your baby's starving. If someone's option other than crime was starvation or poverty, crushing poverty that hurt their kids, you can debate, I'm not saying exactly either side would have a, a clear win, that, hey, maybe some crime's okay. But if you're somebody that has options like I did to go into this industry and become a criminal, because right? really, <clears throat> excuse me, effectively, those old school boiler rooms, that was a criminal enterprise. Now, maybe they didn't all get caught, but if the FBI were listening to every call, there's a lot of people that would have went to jail. It just would be, I'd have to be an idiot to say, oh, no, no, thank you, Goldman Sachs or whatever, post-law school. But I'm going to go out to Vegas, live in a you know, thousand square foot apartment and start from scratch and build it. Obviously, this was an industry I loved. And it only made sense to build it on a firm foundation because my theory was the payoff would come down the road. So doesn't mean we do everything right We try to do as much right as we can. We're going to make mistakes like anyone else. Tell us when we do. But fundamentally, we want to do things right because we don't have to do things wrong, right? And a lot of people do. They have to do things wrong or it's poverty. And that's a different story. These sports books are making money every freaking month. What's the stat? Was it two? I'm just going by man, like 2015 or something. Is oh, that 2013? July 2013. Last is the last time they had one losing month. Yep. And this is the state of Nevada. They're making it's 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 guaranteed profit to book if you aren't. And listen, like we said, there's some dumb bookies in this town. Doesn't take a lot of IQ either. So, and again, this wasn't Vegas. I don't think there was any Vegas books that were even offering this. No. Why try to gouge them for 40 some percent, eight times, nine times what the whole should be when you, how much did book, just a given book make? I, I think it was my bookie might've been the most egregious I saw, but my bookie had uh Sacramento was, that was a hundred to one. They were offering 66 to one. There was, you could make the case with the Knicks, there was a reason to make it a little bit lower. Why would Sacramento be that kind of, <laughs> I mean, it just makes no sense. Cause, and, and listen, if there was a hundred million to steal, now there's a whole, I mean, ask yourself honestly and be honest with yourself. If you had to do something that was pure criminal, no doubt about it. And some people are going to get hurt, but not death. All right. But at the end of it, the odds of you getting caught were small, 5%. And you'd have a hundred million when it was done. It took a week, a week of shenanigans, 95% chance. You have a hundred million and some carnage behind you. I think more than half the people would do it. I'm not going to ask anyone here. Be honest with yourself. So let's accept the bookie, you know, like Bad Ed or whatever back in the day. It was a scam from the start. 
the uh, you know, and if you dig into that, it was a real scam. Since none of those people were in the business anymore, it's not even worth talking about. But in a way to like identify who, because they're all gone, they're all under different names now. But they took away millions and you know tens of millions of dollars in that scam. I don't like it. If I lost money there, I'd be very upset. But it makes sense for us to look and say, oh, that guy who's making 30K a year, he could walk away with X million and likely never get caught. But it's insane. It's so, uh, uh, what's the right word? The opposite of commendable. It's, it's, it, I have so much contempt for that person for doing that. Come on. I'm not saying you do it. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. But you got to understand why someone would do it, right? Brad? Yeah. Does it seem crazy that someone that's making less than 100K a year would have a 95% chance of taking away millions of dollars? <laughs> Not at all. Large. Fez? Well, they made a movie about this, right? Where if you press a button, you get paid a million dollars and some random person in the world dies, but, right? Well, hold on. They, but that's a great movie. I'm shocked you saw this movie. I'm guessing the wife dragged you in. I, I think so. It's called The Box. Yeah. And actually, we actually have... A quote from it. There are two ways to enter the final chamber. Free or not free. Yeah, it's a little, uh, I think that's John Paul Sartre, but it is the quote from the philosopher. But it's a great, very deep movie. It's actually the guy who did Donnie Darko. He only does a few movies, like one a decade. Great movie. But in that case... Yeah, that's interesting because they didn't really tell him anything else. But then there was ultimately, uh, you know, not to give anything away, but there was other ramifications. Mm-hmm. But that's that's a movie. There's a lot of people that scam, disappear, change their name. You never hear. They never have an ounce of problem. Right? Like Think about going back to 1998. You know, let's say when the sports books got big. How many, what are there, a dozen plus books that just up and dis- one day their phones are disconnected. Right or wrong? Correct. What happened to who's Mike? That, who's ever got caught? I don't think anybody did. Aces, wow. golds of the world just disappear. Oh, we went bankrupt. Well, they don't even say that. They're gone. Yes. There's like, they leave a note. <laughs> we went bankrupt. Bye. <laughs> so it, it makes sense for some people to be scammy if there's enough money at stake. How much money do you think the b- biggest book that took action on the Knicks, made on the Knicks because of the incremental vig they were charging. Maybe a thousand bucks, right? Maybe five thousand. Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> now, Fez, you love the book still, I think, in a latent way. I've taught you not to, but make the case. Like, there's probably two cases for this that, that you could start to make that just get shot down after. So case number one would say, hey, the action was lopsided. So New York is a very public team. So New York's odds of getting the number one pick, the same as Cleveland, the same as Phoenix. But who? where are the fans? They're in New York. The fans want to bet on their team. They want to bet Knicks. And remember, Knicks have a lot of fans outside of New York. Oh, absolutely. And and look at Stephen A. He loves the Knicks. People listen to Stephen A. I mean, the, there are nationwide fan base for the Knicks. Yeah, so I think that's one. And you could say, oh... There's a ton of money on the Knicks. Another, and we got to adjust the line, just like if someone's steaming the Chiefs or whatever. 
Well, we'll talk about that. But let's say the second reason why there might be steam, and that reason would be the famous Patrick Ewing 1985 conspiracy. Check it out on YouTube, Frozen Envelope, that the league was really motivated for the Knicks to win, and they'd find a way to make them win. And thus the odds weren't exactly what the math says. Yes. So the league, the theory is that the league wants Zion in New York and obviously not in Phoenix or in Cleveland. So that's the two reasons why there'd be lopsided money. But here's the thing. When a line moves, it's for two reasons. One, they want to even up the action if they can. But number two, they think, hey, maybe there's something we don't know. Quarterback might be out in college. We don't know. We got to take these bets seriously, not just the because on any given game, unless it's a huge game, there's not. If I walked up to the book and I said, let's say there was a WNBA game that they weren't booking for whatever reason, I said, what do you think the line would be? And they said, I pick them. I said, okay, I want the home team and I'll lay 10. Assuming they didn't think there was some. Uh, uh, fix in, even though they would be naked on that side, they would take a pretty big bet from me because their theory is they're going to win that bet 75% of the time, right? Exactly. All right. So, and there probably could have been a better example. If I would have went into an NFL game because they know that's all going to be fixed and there was something about how many punts do you think? Like it's a random game. How many punts do you think they're going to be? And they're going to say what? Nine and a half. I say, all right, I'll bet over 19 and a half. Whatever you want to bet. So they're very comfortable being lopsided, right? Yes. Unless they think they, they might not have the best of it. But they know they have the best exactly. of it Exactly. Mm. So there's no reason. There's not enough money. Be- now, if the money's enough... They don't want to be naked or lopsided on one side because it can affect their bottom line for the month. The Super Bowl scares the books, even though they win almost every year, because if things go really wrong, it can affect the month. And then they're going up and talking to the bosses. Something like this is a rounding it. Like you said, people are, maybe they might get $10,000 on the Knicks, and that's probably way more than they actually did anyway. How could you, oh, the whole book you're saying, one yeah. person, yeah. So they just said, you know, if we gouge, that's a great word you came up with, we can make an extra theoretically 300 bucks <laughs> and us three can go out and each get one drink and three dances at the local strip club in Costa Rica. Hurricane Zion is rolling into town. We're going to charge triple for water. Again, that's another example of gouging. And to me, Forget there's no ethic. It's just bad business. Yep. But it goes to show you. I mean, it's the opposite of hey, we're going to pay off on the Saints because even though we're going to lose, you know, fifteen k, but we're getting good publicity. This is the opposite. And you know something? It's the marketing departments that decide on hey, we're going to pay off the Saints. It's the freaking cockroach bookies. They're the ones that say, oh, we'll still get action at plus 350, even <laughs> though it should be at 6.2 or whatever. Exactly. Well, listen, anyone that wants to try, as Faz did, uh, explain, because in pre-production, you were trying to explain away why the bookies did it. <laughs> and what we, can conclu- what we can conclude, as we usually do, Cockroaches. Cockroaches, yeah. 
last thing on the draft, or at least on Zion, pregame.com research. Mackie headed this up. Good stuff here. Check this out when it comes to Zion's financial effect beyond just his on-court effect. So this is February 2018. We're going to have three buckets, Duke and Zion on ESPN. Any NCAA game without Duke and the NBA. Zion and Duke averaged 2.2 million viewers in his games. The NBA games typically much more popular, 2 million viewers. The ESPN NCAA games without Zion, 760,000. So, Fez, just recap that. It's stunning. Zion is on TV in a college basketball game. There'll be three times as many people watching Zion as the next night when Gonzaga is playing. Yeah, and thank you. You got Kentucky. You yeah, got, North Carolina. You got Blue Bloods playing. Zion tripled the freaking audience and exceeded the NBA. Obviously, there are factors on the court and off the court for this kid. It's amazing. This is R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. All right, Knicks, they fell right in the middle. A lot of people ask, well, wait a minute, they're getting the third pick, and... What happened to their odds? Nothing. The Knicks coming into the NBA draft, this is their future odds to win the title next year, were 16 to 1, believe it or not, which is kind of insinuating that they're going to get somebody good at 16 to 1. After the draft, the Knicks get the third pick, 16 to 1. No change, RJ. So if you were really square, you would say, wait a minute. R.J. Barrett, who is the likely pig or expected pig, he must be worth something. What the heck's going on? But if you're sharp like Brad, you would know the answer. Yeah, well, the the expectation was the Knicks were going to get right around that kind of pick. So I mean, th- there was disappointment that, hey, I mean, even though the books were eye-gouging you as far as the Knicks getting the number one pick and there was expectation that they would be, three's about right around where they were expected. It was already expected they were going to get someone like yeah, that. Yeah, so if you think about it, efficient market theory, which applies to the stock market, though it's been somewhat debunked as in, hey, some people know more than the market. But that's an interesting debate. When I went to uh, you know, business school in 90, 91, 92, efficient market theory was all over the place. In the interim, it's kind of been like, well... You know, mostly it's efficient markets, but a guy like Warren Buffett, he can't, you know, it's just not random. He keeps beating the market. But in general, all that's known is built into the line. What we knew was the Knicks had a lottery ticket, no pun intended. There's a certain chance of first, second, third, fourth, fifth. The fact that they fell in at fifth or a third, which had two places above them, they could have been two below them. I mean, they pretty much met expectations. If you get a little more nuanced, the prize pool was a little bit skewed, Fez, where the number one was so much more attractive. Yes, number one was so much more attractive. But contrasting to that, 
it was much more likely the Knicks would have the five pick than yeah, the one. So pick. I think the average was they were supposed to be three point seven. Yep, that's right. So they and you had that number, Brad. Yep. So it fell. The fact they went three in a way seems like oh maybe you improve them a little bit, but since they didn't get one and it was mis it was uh, weighted more heavily, it was even. Now if somehow some way Commissioner uh, Silver would have announced right before the draft the Knicks are getting their pick taken away for some kind of infraction. Their odds would have dropped. Yeah. They would have been downgraded. Yeah. So the assumption of the Knicks, it's not just the Knicks yesterday, the Knicks today. Clearly they got better. That's not what the odds are. It's the understanding of what the Knicks are going to be, which accounts for, in this case, not only the lottery possibility entering the lottery yesterday, one, two, three, four, three, mm, one, two, three, four, or five. But also, and you said the insinuation, odds are pretty damn good. They get uh, Durant. I've heard multiple people say 95% and Irving is, you know, considered to be likely. So the possibility of that is another piece of information, potential lottery ticket that has the Knicks odds with. If, if the Knicks don't get Durant and don't get Irving, they're 300 to be, one. Yeah, they're yeah. 300. To Zero. One. Yeah. Mm, wow. Well, yeah. Three hundred. No zero. <laughs> but the bookies wouldn't give you. Yeah, no. Bookies are going to give you an eighty to one. <laughs> sure. All right. I'm RJ Bell. Brad Powers. Steve Fezzik. Dream preview. We're past the draft. Real quick, a little college basketball and an NBA because of Beeline. Brad, you're the master at this stuff when it comes to college. With all that college knowledge, <laughs> what 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 matters? What's the takeaway? Well, I mean, John Beeline from Michigan doesn't have that name like a Tom Izzo or a Coach K or a Roy Williams, but by almost any account, at least from the guys who bet it or at least the, the insiders who write about it and are paid to write about it, John Beeline from Michigan has been a top five coach in college basketball at least the last five or six years for Michigan. So while the name is not as big as an Izzo or a Coach K, this is a significant, significant loss for the Wolverines. But you mentioned it. The bookies are bad. I've not seen any odds moved yet on Michigan as far as their title odds. They're like the fifth or sixth favorite next year. And let, no let, me, let me guess, you can't bet the no, though. You cannot bet the no. So Michigan's still sitting 12-1 to 1 to win the title, even though no matter who they get, it's going to be at least a slight downgrade at head coach. And I thought you brought this up, RJ. I thought this was one of the most interesting stats I read all week. There have been 28 coaches at the end. And, and I actually saw this somewhere else, yeah. so I can't remember what. Go ahead. Yeah, there's been 28 coaches in NCAA history, any level. Men, we're talking men's, not, not, not men's and women's, but men's, that have won at least 750 games at the college level. And out of those 28 coaches, I could, a combined total of zero. Zero games coached at the NBA level. So John Beeline's going to break this stat at 67 years old being one of the first very ultra-successful NCAA coaches going to the NBA. Now, that speaks to his age, though, right? So, I mean, what kind of optimism do you have at the NBA level? Uh, The only thing to me that makes sense, there's a lot of connections in Michigan. The number two guy, the assistant GM, uh, has worked under John Beeline in the past. The owner, Dan Gilbert, has a lot of ties to the Detroit area, so there's some familiarity there. The only way it makes sense is, hey, he's got a young team. They already got a young point guard. They're going to get what the the fifth pick in this draft. So maybe that's the selling point is, hey, you're going to be coaching a young team. So it's not going to be all that different. Other than that, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It was 
a shock when that news broke earlier this week. So how much more money is he making than he would have been at Michigan? I have not seen the exact contract details. He was making like 2.4, 2.5 million in Michigan. So I'm guessing he's making five. I could see that. Why, why, when, when we get into something else, let me ask you a couple quick questions before you look at that. Um, we talked about Michigan's odds not changing, though he's irreplaceable, I think. I mean, not that there's not coaches as good as him, but there's so few and you can't get him if yep. you're Michigan. But we do have odds on the next Mich- Michigan coach. And they've taken those down, RJ. So, uh, I mean. So these were from what, yesterday? Yeah. They, well, they just were- give yesterday's odds. Just to give you, I mean, obviously they're broadly correct. Just the, you know, the favorites. So I see Laval Jordan. He's a former assistant for, for John Beeline. He's now the head coach of Butler. That, that would be a clear downgrade. Thank you, RJ. Uh, Juwan Howard, former Michigan player, 7-2, to two, followed by Mike White, 5-1. to one. Now, is Howard, where's he coaching? Well, he's never been really a head coach. He's been more of an assistant type of coach, so no head coaching experience. I mean, the, if you hire a guy like that, I mean, you're hiring him for his recruiting abilities. That would be a downgrade, in my opinion. Then you, uh, Luke Yaklik, he's the assistant coach for Michigan right now. He's kind of been their defensive coordinator the last couple of years. Then you got some bigger names: Billy Donovan, six to one; Bobby Hurley, six to one. But again, if they got taken down, maybe there's some information out there. Well, there was a big mover. Uh, Laval Jordan was a guy that was more in the twelve to one range when they first opened up. And when I put those odds up, he went to two to one. So he's kind of becoming the favorite. Okay, NBA. Now we're taping on Wednesday night as usual. And the Toronto-Milwaukee game is in progress. Fez, what's the current score? Toronto 88, Milwaukee 87. We got a rooting interest in this game and this series, RJ. Yeah, any regular listener knows Brad Powers. I mean, (laughs) what, what adjective would you use for your decision? Yeah, for picking Boston? Yeah. So the theory oh, was man. this was a while back, maybe even six, I, seven, eight weeks ago. And it was like, hey, the East, I think at the time the East literally had four teams with the exact same odds. All they plus did. 225. Yep. And we thought this would be fun. Let's do a draft. Yep. But, well, how do you draft? We don't randomize anything. It's like, who's willing to pay more? Fez was willing to pay for the first pick. You laid what, 160? Minus 115, 115 uh, on Milwaukee. Hmm. Minus <laughs> Dirtiest player in the game. <laughs> and you took Milwaukee. Obviously, Milwaukee at the time was considered an even team, right? Yes. And Brad got picked second, <laughs> and he went deep in his pocket. You know, deep. And, and I got to tell you that this was a case where, RJ, I knew you wanted Toronto. <laughs> And I knew that you knew. How would you know that? I could just tell. Then why'd you lay anything from yeah. Milwaukee? No, why, not Milwaukee. Toronto. You want Toronto. I know. So why would you lay anything from Milwaukee? Why wouldn't you let me get yeah. the first pick and pick Toronto? I really liked Milwaukee. Oh, okay. But I knew. So he knew what I was doing, yeah. but still was willing to Well, pay I knew you didn't want Boston. And so Brad bids on Boston. He bids minus 115. Like, well, first, we didn't know who Brad was taking. We didn't know, but you So knew. the way the bidding yeah. went was, who wants the first pick? Are you willing to lay 110? Everyone says yes. Are you willing to lay 115? Brad says no. I said no. So you got it for 115. Yes. Then we went, who wants the number two pick? Are you willing to lay 110? We both said yes. You willing to lay 150? And then I looked at the key was the last tick. And I I saw the wheels turning in your brain. And I could just tell that you're like, 
I think Brad really likes Boston here. <laughs> if I bid, he's going to bid again. It's almost like a poker player who knows somebody's bluffing, although you weren't bluffing, you're just wrong. And so RJ goes ahead and raises to minus 120, knowing you were going to re-raise with the wrong hand, and that's exactly what happened. And so you went to minus 125, and I believe, RJ, you snap-called at that point. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So how you feel? Oh, I mean, like shit. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like, no, I mean, honestly, I, I got bamboozled. I really did. For I got, who? I mean, I didn't know much about the NBA. <laughs> you guys correctly took advantage. I, I mean, I have similar thoughts when Fez comes on the college football podcast. So, yeah, I mean, my expectation, here's my line of incorrect thinking. I was thinking, man. I was honestly thinking like Haystack Hank or Freddie Fanapack. <laughs> Man, Boston made it to the Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals last year without Kyrie Irving, without Gordon Hayward. This looks like they're just taking it easy as far as the regular season. They'll pick it up because Cleveland wasn't the one seed last year. And look how they did. They ended up going to the NBA Finals. They had the best coach. In my opinion, they have the deepest roster. Give me Boston. I was wrong. You got to give Brad credit. A couple reasons. One, he takes his loss like a man. <laughs> a grown man made a wager. He lost. He made another one. He lost again. End of story. I mean, not a lot of you know jibber jabber. He's just telling. The, and number two, tell you this: in any field, and there's a whole area of academia that's on deliberate practice, and it's really grown. There was a guy named Erickson who, for a long time, was doing some pretty unique work. And now it's really become like, how do you get better at shooting free throws? Oh, jeez. Or how do you get better at hitting a golf ball? Do you notice, you think it's, you think somehow Steph Curry is just more physically talented than Del Curry, his dad, or Larry Bird? Or is the approach so much more effective, efficient, the way we practice. I mean, I played high school sports in the 80s. I was average. But the way we did, there was never, it was just pretty much go play, you know, basketball, go play. There was no sense of, okay, here's a certain skill you need to acquire. We're going to spend 10 minutes a day on that and then 10 minutes a day. No, it was pretty much roll the ball out and go. Now, you look at these shooters, the stuff they do, their warm-up, none of it's random. It's all about getting deliberate practice in and, and, and identifying that core um, function or act that is the key to shooting a three-pointer, to doing X, to doing Y. Well, all of deliberate practice talks about when you do something that's more difficult. So an example is, imagine if you're a ping-pong player. They have these ping pong paddles, which are about a third smaller. So 67. Mm. Now imagine you practice with those a decent amount of time, not the whole time. Now you get that other ping pong. It's like, wow, this thing's huge. I can't miss with this thing. And, and there's all kinds of studies on this. Brad, if he's able in these sharp infested <laughs> waters, and let's be honest in the NFL, when it's Faz two time super contest champion, me and and you got Maddie Holt. Not many people want to step into that. And by doing it, Brad might be negative EV, you know, whatever. 
but it's it's not that much. He knows his stuff. But I tell you this, I felt like the last, you know, you did that, what, about 10 weeks in the NFL season? Yep. You certainly were a better NFL. I mean, like, you probably picked up your NFL handicapping more in those 10 weeks than the last three years. Oh, no question about it. Because you're playing. To me, it's always, that's what I love about <laughs> our show. People sometimes say, oh, RJ, you're being too hard on Fez. It's like Fez is the best public NFL handicapper there is the best. I mean, it's not one of the best, in my opinion, the best. And I don't know how good these mystical guys behind the scenes are, right? Step up if you're that good, right? And and, and if Fez is the best in the world at what he does. In all the five boroughs, I'm known. I'm known all over the world. And if I can debunk something he's saying, one it means that it might, I must have a freaking point because he's the best. So he gets 50 things right in a row. If the 51st is wrong, what am I supposed to do? Now, I'm uniquely suited because I know the NFL very well, but I'm also, you know, quite a good debater. So, you know, to me, if it's a tie, I'm probably going to win the debate. Now, but if you've got the right side, you're going to win. And I, I'm going to, how many times have we been in a debate? Fez, you convinced me and I just stopped debating. Yeah. And oftentimes you'll take like two or three seconds, you know, you'll say, let me think about that. You know what? Okay. Exactly. I don't want to beat you. I want to get to the right answer, but I do think, and this is the fee, you know, it's funny that probably the second most feedback we get is be easy on Fez. You know, a mansion and a yacht doesn't make it where he doesn't have his own heart and feelings. But then the other side is, I love it how you keep Fez and and the whole wise guy roundtable, whoever's here, uh, honest and honest on his in line. But but you know we try to make sure we are telling what we believe to be the truth. And I, even if it's a tie, just hearing the different sides is so important. When I hear your side, even if I don't agree with it, it teaches me something about you that I I try to exploit later. Oh jeez, just yeah, being honest. And I got to tell you that it's like two poker players. RJ knows. My whole, my holes, my leaks, if you will, in my sports betting game. He knows where he should not be attacking, and he knows where. Well, maybe Fezzik's playing uh, Omaha in poker, and he doesn't know Omaha very well at all. I don't know Omaha, but I'll tell you this: there's been times you and Brad did something that was in game type stuff, and I blindly bet with you, and I think he's like three and zero in those. So you've probably had a bad run on some of these too. <laughs> There was one NFL total where it was going to open. I thought it was insane that you were going against him. Yeah, and I crushed him. Ah! <laughs> Baltimore Ravens, they went yeah. over. Not my best one. Baltimore, oh, yeah. Cincinnati. Yeah, how about that? A, a quarterback that yeah. doesn't throw and runs yeah. the ball uh, on every play, that that game's going to go under. Shocker. Well, like Brad always says. He was the baddest kid around until I showed up. You got to think in hindsight, Mr. T is so much cooler than we even realized. I agree with that. With some of these drops, I'm like, wow, I didn't respect him enough. Loved I, him. Had the, I had the little action figure of him. You know, I loved Rocky Three when he'd knock his opponent to his knees and then like knock him out by hitting him one more time and he never got DQ'd. You remember? You, you loved that. <laughs> yeah. Risking spinal that, cord injury. Yeah. <laughs> that extra shot. In. <laughs> There's a reason that. It wouldn't be funny if there was like a whole Rocky about all the people in the, you know, disabled homes, you know, <laughs> because of Mr. T's late hits. 
And Fez is just like, it could almost be like a mystery science theater 3000. You could be laughing at him and stuff. Is it? Is that right? It, yeah. <laughs> All right. What's left? We've got two series. We're going to start with Golden State because Milwaukee's going on. Hopefully that game is going to be, what, how much time is left? 455 remaining. Fear the deer. Milwaukee has taken the lead up by two points. Only four minutes left in the whole game. Yeah, but that'll probably take 25 minutes. Yeah, so we're in good shape. We'll have a good idea who's going to win game one. But I tell you this, whoever wins, Toronto comes in supposedly by your handicap fatigued on straight out of Vegas today, 6 o'clock Eastern, each weekday, Fox Sports Radio. And the podcast, just search for it. You can get this one too, RJ Bowen, your favorite pod player. But first, we're doing Golden State. Fez, number one takeaway, Golden State. Well, Game one, I think we can give Portland a little bit of a pass for fatigue because they did have to play Sunday in Denver in altitude. Game seven, they're the underdog, RJ, and they come through, they get the win, and then they had to go ahead and wheel back and play Tuesday. So very little rest against Golden State, a rested Golden State team that hadn't played since Friday. So I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass for that, but I do have a concern for Portland, and that concern was basically the matchups. Golden State ran this pick and roll, which they do to get Curry and Clay Thompson open, and Portland had no answer. Their bigs just retreated back towards the basket, and so Golden State had wide-open threes all game long. Now, normally when a team shoots over 50% from three, which Golden State did in game one, I'll be the I'll be the one to say, well, that's just three-point shooting variance. Golden State made over 50% of their threes. Portland only made 25%. So it was luck. But I don't think it was luck. I really think that this was a case where Golden State got such wide-open threes that Portland is going to need to adjust defensively. Good stuff from Fez there. By the way, we're going to finish so strong. What a show so far, guys. I got my Coke Zero. <laughs> Finishing with a little caffeine-driven. As a weekly pod now, now during the NFL season, we're a picks pod. I mean, we'll talk about theory. During the off season, it's hard to be a picks pod because these game, basketball games are daily and the show would be stale right after. So what we tend to do is put our picks at the end. Best bets, obviously. In fact, you got one in the Thursday game, right? I do. I, I like this. But... And as we said early, Brad with his one-of-a-kind, first-time ever NFL early bird. Because, hey, there's nothing wrong with having a little action. But all week on the Fox show, and now with Daryl and Mackie doing a ton of good research for us, we got so much good data that, that half of it, it's not so much we don't have time for it. It's just too deep for the national audience. They're driving in their cars. Their kids are there. A podcast, you put your headphones on. We try to go deeper. We always say, and I think it's unequivocally true, that Straight Out of Vegas has the smartest audience in radio, sports radio, at minimum. But you guys, I mean, I just know it because I hear the feedback. You guys are even smarter than that. These are the guys that are want to hear about the decimal points. You know, make it entertaining, but give us the knowledge. So... I want to talk about something I've read about Houston Golden State that just blows my mind. It's easy to talk about Harden's a choker and Curry's not. I guess I could give examples of what's wrong, but let me say what's right. There is a massive amount of luck 
in a lot of these games. And if I flip, if, it, if it's a best of seven, me and Fez flipping a coin, and somehow I won three straight, the odds of that is what? Eight, to, eight for one, right, Fez? Yeah, one, one and eight. But it's going to happen a decent amount. But imagine me going around saying, yep, I know just when, when the air conditioner comes on, I know just when to flip it. Ah, come on, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like the back to the draft is what's that stat about that Griffin dude? Oh, he said four of the last, he said four of when the he's five been, number one picks. When he's been in it. Yep. When he's been And his yeah. odds have been 20% or less or <laughs> yeah. whatever, right? Every time. That Mathematically, yeah. that's extremely unlikely. Right? But I don't think there's anything, you know, as he's got pictures of, I think Stern was there for some of it. So he has naked pictures of Stern and Silver together, maybe. <laughs> right? Otherwise, I think it's luck. But. There's some things that aren't luck, and this blew my mind. Golden State has the high pick. And listen, I'm no X's and O's, guys. I'm I'm trying to learn a little bit more with basketball, but they have this certain high pick and roll that with staff, which is just like so efficient. Whatever the efficiency rating is per play, it's through the roof. And every X's and O's, guys, like the Gray Cosells of the NBA which I'm starting to learn about these guys and who to follow. They all just preach nonstop. More of that, Steve Kerr. What's wrong with you, Steve Kerr? And then what we found out was that, and let's think about the three levels of awareness an opponent might have of your offense. One is you've never done this before. You, you've waited for it. You know, Belichick style against the Ravens a few years ago, there's a certain formation He's been holding it. You have no idea. You don't know what to do. Does that happen in the NBA? For sure. But it's going to be, you know, a handful of plays over a short period of time. Other teams have a chance to look at it. You fooled them. Maybe you picked up six points. That was a difference in the game. That stuff's important. So it's no awareness. Surprise. Number two is you're a normal team that plays a normal amount of you know, let's say a third, or a third of the time you play this offense, third you play this, a third you play this. Well, over the course of a season, you're going to have a nice chunk of, of tape on each of the three. So a guy like Kerr is going to come in and look at all three. And then there's Houston. And I'm not sure if Houston is just alone in this. It feels like they are. They run the same thing so many times with Harden at the focus. And the simplicity of it. Now, you might say the beauty's in the simplicity. And with the Rams, that's the case, for example, where they've only got like eight plays or something. It's all variations on a theme. So it's easy for them to understand. But like like with jujitsu or whatever, where if you do one thing, they'll do the other. So even if you kind of know what's coming, each thing you might do creates a weakness. Now, Belichick came in, found a way to put all the linemen up, head up instead of gapped. And they were trying to read, my understanding, again, limited. They were reading from the gaps. And since there was no gaps, they didn't know what mm. to read. Again, Belichick's Belichick. He's going to go a next level and figure out, well, you do this. I'm going to do this. You don't, you know. But would we agree hard that the most one-dimensional offense in the NBA was Houston? Yep. Iso ball. Harden. My first thought was, well, wait a minute. Just like in Spinal Tab, you can't go over 10. Once you know an offense, so for a normal team, it's a third of your plays during the season. So what, 20 
uh, what, 25 and 75. So over 25 games worth of each offense, right? Okay. That's not the case. What we found out was because Houston had so many reps in that offense, the Kerr had them do a deeper database analysis where instead of in the advanced stats, now they're counting dribbles or counting all kinds. But they went to the very next level and said things like, if he's turned this way, where does he throw or pass? And if he does, how successful are they? So they went because they had enough data, which they wouldn't have had if Houston had run, not been so exclusive to that offense that they figured out like two things that Harden couldn't do. I, you know, it was throw left in this one spot and then in the key parts of the game, because if they would have just came in and done it the whole time, they would have been thinking, oh, how do we combat this? But in those kind of high leverage points in the game, they would tempt and bait Harden in the spots he was less efficient. And even he didn't know. Right? Think about it, Fez. I bet if you took every game you've ever bet and did it, not just as at home away, but things like, did you go to dinner the night before? How long did you sleep? If you took every piece of data, I bet there's correlations you have no idea about. Oh, no question. And I think the sleep deprivation would be the number one correlation. I've noticed when I have a bad weekend, oftentimes live betting, when I'm betting like crazy, I have not slept enough. Okay. So maybe you could come out with your like nine hours of sleep game of the year. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) But but the fact is even we, even Harden doesn't know as much as a, a good database knows if you track it right. But the, so on one hand, you had a situation where there was a consequence to the beyond. You would think once you're known, you're known. So why fight it? But Kerr and his team found a level of knowing them that no NBA team has ever had. And you think about, isn't it curious that the games that, I mean, if you looked at how Golden State did late in those games, not just the last one. It seemed like it was like it was a different game, didn't it? Didn't Houston seem significantly less efficient late in those games? Yes. All of a sudden, for whatever reason, I got to be honest, I couldn't identify why with the X's and O's, but that hardened drive where he flips it up to Capella and he slams it home, that never worked. They never got that late in game six and seven here. I mean, Five and six. Yeah, you got to give Kerr so much. And that team, uh, and when I say team, I mean... The, the back office, all the organization. Now, the flip side is Kerr knows that high pick and roll is so effective that every time he runs it, it gives the other teams a chance to build the database on him. And because of that, he's been so judicious in not using it and then thrown in wrinkles in certain games, knowing, okay, I've shown you this understanding eventually you're going to figure it out, even though I am judicious using this set throughout the regular season, eventually you've got your hundredth version of it. Now you've solved this. Once I see you make this change, I've got the next one figured out. Right. And then you would think, well, that's the whole point, right? You make a move. I make a move except Kerr's dictating how many iterations there's going to be. He feels like, okay, maybe I can, I can fit. I got three iterations to what they're going to do, but I don't have a fourth. So I've got to spread this out enough that I can get through 
only the third iteration by the end of the year. And then maybe next year you're thinking about a whole different thing. Maybe, right? That's really cool. It is. And it's next level. I love it. It'll be interesting to see game two because you know Portland went ahead when they got faced with this pick and roll. Their bigs went down underneath the basket and they gave up wide open threes. So you know Portland's going to make an adjustment and now Kerr is going to anticipate that adjustment and thus the chess game. Now, lastly, quickly on this, if you think about Belichick, there's a famous, and you can probably Google this. We talked about it quickly, uh, you know, months ago. Tony Romo. So the Patriots were up really big in a game that was on TV. And there was like a third and something from like the seven and seven yard line. So third and seven from the seven. And the Patriots did something that made no sense. I can't remember what it was. They might have just ran up the middle. It was like, man, that seems like, you know, one of the, I think Nance said, that's old school football. Like you'd expect Belichick to pass there. And then uh, Romo went on a long talk saying, well, listen, Belichick is the best guy in the, in the NFL when it comes to using data, when it comes to how, you know, tendencies is what they call it, right? And he knows that this is a certain spot that's, there's only going to be six or seven reps in a given year. Like what I, I think I might've got the spot wrong, but it, the, the video's out there. He goes, he, they're up so much, whatever suboptimal this play is, doesn't matter. They've won this game, but he is dirtying their data. He is doing something that they're going to look at the data. And instead of saying they did this uh, six out of seven times, the thing you would expect them to do. Now it's going to be, Five out of seven mm. times. Wow. And at various spots in games where it's low leverage, low impact, Belichick will do something suboptimal to dirty the data because no other team's looking through and saying, we're going to throw that play out because we, because really who could judge that? You would only have like your head coach, maybe one or two others where they're going to watch every play of every game. So you've got a quality control guy who's, charting these plays and doing the different tagging in the system of the video, he doesn't know any better. So Belichick's smart enough to say, you want to get data. And really, current Belichick's saying the same thing. I want to control the data you have on me. Right? In one case, it's I'm not going to give you data. Belichick's next level from that. I'm going <laughs> to dirty the data. Oh, it's brilliant. And, and again, when Belichick keeps winning and you've got these, and again, a lot of these guys on TV know a lot, but it's back to my basic premise. How in the hell could these guys judge Belichick? When Belichick does something and you disagree with it, you got to figure out why you're wrong. Like Belichick, when he wins the coin toss, he always defers except for like one out of a hundred times. And there's almost always a great reason. Like when he played the chargers in the playoffs and he knew he was confident he had a fundamental advantage on offense and he wanted a likely extra possession in the first half to really exploit it before the Chargers could adjust. And anytime Belichick comes up, you tell that exact story. It's a good uh, one. Is, that, yeah. is that the ninth time you think? It's a good one, though. <laughs> Jeez. But forget what Fats just said. Oh, by the way, more research from the pregame team. Bill Simmons said this first. We dug into and found the ATS too. So D'Antoni, again, in this series, there's there's going to be adjustments 
if you play Harden once a month, it's going to be hard to figure out what he's doing. You play him that fifth, sixth, seventh time, it gets easier. D'Antoni last six games in a playoff series that was game six or seven, so late in the series, 0-6 straight up, 0-6 against the spread. Four of those was with Houston. So Houston wow. now is 0-4 in game six and seven, straight up and against the spread. Is it bad luck? Or is it the fact that forgetting all this advanced stuff we're talking, just understanding the adjustments that need to be made in a series, the simplicity of Harden's in that game, there's only so many moves they can make. All right. Any what else on Golden State? Anything? <coughs> Do we want to talk about you know how much Duran is worth? Because the numbers that we've presented on Straight Out of Vegas say that you know a lot of people out there are saying right now Kevin Durant is the best player in the NBA, but our data says he's not even the best player or most valuable player is probably the correct term on his own team. So, Fez, what's the score? I mean, I see you over there. Just It must not be good for you because you're looking to dig deeper to see something. No, I, I'm looking at the box score to comment on it. Toronto ran out of gas here as oh. I was concerned. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Milwaukee's up 108-100 with 20 seconds to play. And the line was six? The line was six. It actually closed six and a half. All right, interesting. Well, I gotta th- I'm optimistic about Toronto, though. They were in a bad spot. And they, the game was tied late. Once again, Van Vliet comes up short. The bench only scores 12 points. Van Vliet, well, he won one for four for two points. That's going to increase his shooting percentage in the playoffs from 12.5% to 13.5. Now, uh, how much is he worth? A point and a half? He, he's worth the, I had him worth last year a point per game. Uh, in this playoffs, he's hurting his he's team. He's still worth a point for the other, the other team. team. He's ah. worth about a point for the other team so far in these playoffs. Do you think you were right about it? or did, And Van Vliet just fundamentally changed? I think it will not surprise me if at the end of these playoffs, something comes out that Van Vliet is playing with impaired eyesight or some other ailment. Impaired <laughs> eyes? It's like he couldn't possibly be playing this bad unless he was near blind. Jeez. I thought you might think his ankle was tweaked. <laughs> has to be more significant than that. Like, like, like he's like Fred Sanford at home when he has a text on his iPhone. He's going through like a, a, a drawer for a glass. You talk about a replacement level player. Van Vliet has played so much worse than the average replacement player in the NBA. Uh, I don't know what he's going to be doing next year. I hope he's still under contract. Now back to going say these stats are going around. Brad, you have them in front of you. I got them in my bag. So it's, uh, we got three categories. One, oh, you got them fast? Yes. One is Golden State with both the uh, Durant and um, Kerr, or Kerr, is Curry. Okay, so. And they both This play? is only, I got it, only, only the Durant era. So the last three years. We've got when they both play. We got when one plays and the other doesn't. Durant, no Curry. Curry, no Durant. And these numbers have been making the rounds, though. We got the ATS numbers to go. Yeah, so I just have the straight-up numbers memorized here. So when both play, very good team. Golden State, 78%. They win straight up. Now, when Curry plays and Durant misses, you think that 78% might drop, but it doesn't. It goes up. In fact, it's 88% of the time when Curry plays, no Durant, Golden State wins, and 
currently Golden State is on a 27 and 1 straight up run with Curry and no Durant. So we're saying initially they were a little uh, started slow with in that scenario and from here it's been super strong. It, it didn't even start that slow. <laughs> wow, well, but yeah, yes. 3 and 3 average. Okay. Uh, you got the ATS numbers? Yeah, ATS wise now 21 11 and 3, so a little bit above 65% against the spread. Curry plays no Durant. And it's well below 50% with Durant and not Curry. Yeah. So when Durant plays and no Steph, ATS, 18 and 28. So that's less than 40% against the number. Coming up short, five points per game as far as Vegas expectations go. And what was shocking to me is that straight up they're 61% with Durant without Curry, but they only outscore their opponents, I believe, by what? One point per game. One point per game. All right. So now here's the question. One, uh, you know, it's always as I block my nasal passages, eh, sample size. <laughs> but, Faz, we got some real numbers here. And it's such an extreme result, even if that's not the truth, and the truth was one standard deviation less, it's still impressive, right? Oh, yeah. Statistically, you cannot ignore this data. This data is clearly saying that um, Durant is doesn't benefit the team, has not benefited the team at all the past three years, which is just mind-boggling to me. All right, so now the question is, if I put you under the spotlight. Uh Uh-oh. And I ask you, how much is Durant worth? It seems, if we use the numbers, that any number above zero is going to really need to be explained how those numbers contradict it. Exactly. And I'm further compromised by having been asked this question several times in the past month. But what's interesting is learning as you go. Listen, think about life like a hold'em hand. You get your cards, then you see three. Now, if you have the exact same opinion with Kings, if there's an ace on the board, you're an idiot. But if it comes out two, six, seven, rainbow, oh my gosh, I like my bat a lot more or my hand a lot more. So we got new information. Not so much as there's been a bunch of Curry games, though there's been, what, 2-0 and o added to this. But it's been also that we didn't have all this data. As it started happening, we've dug and dug and dug. So sitting here today, how much is Durant worth? I'm going to say Durant is worth 1.1 points to Golden State, RJ, and I'd be curious. 1.1? 1.1 to the right, So hold on a second. <laughs> a couple days ago, he was worth what, three? Three. And think about the ego on Fez. I mean, this this is one-of-a-kind stuff here. <laughs> it's one thing, like when Brad does his college power ratings to the hundredth of a percent, <laughs> it seems insane to me. And we have fun with them. But if he somehow changed his power rating by like four points in one game and there was no injury, I'd say, Jesus, your power ratings are that far off, which they aren't because I think they're the best in, you know, from the Vegas perspective in the business. But then how could you think you're right to a (laughs) hundred? So you just went from three and downgraded almost two, but you you know, I gotta be honest, I have such a good feel for Durant's value <laughs> that I could just say one, but I wanna give you audience. I love you guys. I wanna give you that extra piece of information at des a next decimal point. So it's one point one. Oh, by the way, though, four days ago I thought it was three. 
You see that, that there's a special kind of pompousness that, that would allow you to do that. So to summarize, I was completely wrong a month ago on my estimate, and yet now I'm going to make my estimate to the nearest tenth of a point. Yes. But somehow that was your instinct. Yes. It's worth a point. So what the hell was it? Now, we just agreed on Straight Out of Vegas that Durant would probably be the consensus best player in the NBA. Yep. yep. On an average so how team? can the best player be almost worthless? Because the alpha male Curry and the alpha male Durant, um, I like your analogy here. It's the Steve Young quarterback going ahead and replacing Joe Montana. How much is Steve Young worth? So you're just, just going to regurgitate my opinion? Well, it's, I think it's Let a good RJ one. Say it. That when, when, when Curry plays and Durant is out, Curry is able to take over the complete role of the offense and move the ball around such that... He plays like the, the two-time MVP of the league that he was prior to Durant. Right. You there. have two two-time MVPs, and you don't need both of them at the court at the same time to go ahead and run the offense. So the offense doesn't slip at all when Curry is in there and Durant is out. I think there might be some truth to that. Now, what concerns me is, but we haven't seen it yet, is the bench. Because I would say Golden State's bench this year has been as thin as it's been. Exactly. And that was why I thought Durant this year, despite that data, was going to be so important, RJ, because no David West, no Zsa Pachulia, no McGee, um, no Swaggy B. So because of that, the, the the players that Golden State has currently, I thought, wow, they're in big trouble. However, that bench, I got to be honest. Just to be clear, McGee's out? McGee doesn't play for Golden State anymore. Okay. Used to be on their bench. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So, but I got to be honest, in game one against Portland. Do me a favor, Brad, pull up the box score because the, the bench got some time yesterday. I just want to hear who, who got some time. Go ahead. Yeah, so Looney... Livingston. No, no, I'm not asking okay. you to try to replicate the box score he's pulling up. Fair enough. I'm asking you, so that was a concern. Yes, but the fact that eight guys from the bench all put up three or more points in game one against Portland, I think is very encouraging for Golden State. Maybe that bench isn't quite as weak as we had thought. So who had time other than the starters? Uh, we're looking at Bell, McKinney, Jones, Looney, Livingston, Cook, Evans, the whole bench played. Jerebko? Jerebko. Jerebko. 12 different, look at this, RG, 12 different Golden State players scored in game one. That's incredible. 12? What is this? I mean, (laughs) T-ball, everyone gets a participation (laughs) award? I I think Kerr's doing something brilliant here. Remember, every one of those guys are amongst the best 400 basketball players on earth. Okay? And any one of those guys in the right situation in February, if both teams are resting some starters, could put up 20. Right? We've yeah. seen, how many times mm-hmm. have we seen a guy put yeah. up 20? So all Kerr wants to see is with the brightest, with these bright lights, not the brightest yet, who's, got, who's feeling good right now? Because he might only need two minutes in some third quarter. This is almost like a dress rehearsal. They were up enough. Let's see who's going to play. Because he only needs a couple, one or two, to give him three to five minutes in any given game, right? Yeah, well, the problem is since he lost Durant, so he moves Bogut into the starting lineup. Bogut only plays like 10 minutes. So he really needs one guy that he can really count on to lock some minutes. That's the thing. 
he's not going to get that. Right. So he's, he, he wants to see how it can piecemeal together. Or maybe one guy does get hot and he, and he just have one of these, like an 11 point game that you wouldn't have expected. That's what Livingston did against Houston game six. Yeah. So listen, Kerr's probably not getting the credit he deserves. No, that's a strong point, RJ. Not to mention the ego side. I mean, and, and listen, I'm right there with people. I don't want to look at these 25 year old, 30 year old millionaires and hear how they got it tough and all that. And, and I'm hard probably on players. Not as hard as many, but, you know, in my opinion. Imagine you're Steph Curry and imagine that you are literally a two-time MVP. So, but that wasn't some, you know, back in the day. It was last year and the year before. So you're going for your third straight MVP, potentially. Two years ago, you won a title. One year ago... You led your team to the most successful regular season in the history of the NBA. You're up 3-1 for your second title. Lost. Now comes in Durant, zero titles. And they say, this guy's going to be the alpha. Two-time MVP, you're not even the best player on your team anymore. Curry went out and recruited him. And the fact that they've won the title every the first two years means that whatever happened, that the addition was much bigger than whatever angst it caused. The fact that Curry did that is one of the most selfless, team-oriented things I've ever seen. And the very fact that Durant, who is the alpha on that team, the rumor is, and I've heard Stephen A. say 95%, Colin said today it's 100% from a source he trusts, is going to the Knicks. So think about it. Kerr said, I accept being number two. He took the role on the court as the number two. And he would be happy to have Durant stay, it would seem. We don't know that for sure, but it would seem. And Durant's saying, yeah, I know I'm you know, on my way to my third championship. But because other people are saying I'm not clearly number one, that I'm one, but there's someone that's close to me, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm not saying it's the only thing, but boy, between the two of them, who's got the gripe? <laughs> and one of them's just there, let's win, let's win. And the other one's like, nah, I'm going to, I want to build a production company so I can make some crappy show they might put on TBS. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's like, look at LeBron. It's like, you've got a, a handful of years left as one of the greatest players to ever walk the earth. And he's worried about putting the barber shop on. I get if you're, you know, listen, there's nothing sadder than Joe Lewis or whatever, sitting outside of Caesars in, in the sixties, you know, being a greeter to try to pay off the IRS when he was a world. I mean, the way athletes have been treated in the past. And again, was it the way they were treated or they were uninformed? And obviously if you got money, someone's coming after it. That's just the way this world is. But it is, the end result was sad for a lot of these athletes. I don't begrudge these athletes having generational wealth. But these TV shows don't have anything. You think, what, LeBron might be worth, you know, 800 million instead of 600 million if that, if, if the TV show becomes the next sign found? It's like, it doesn't matter. And you're going to have, in theory, decades and decades to do that stuff. Yep. When you're going to be playing old timer games, to me, it's hard to know in your youth 
And and let's be honest with these kids. By the time they're 30, they're physically trending down. Any male, and again, I think males are a little slower to evolve, testosterone or whatever. Any male that's got his head together at 30 is ahead of the game. But when a guy who's an athlete doesn't have his head together at 26 or 27, it can ruin a career. You know, Des Bryant, Colin uses an example. You could make the case Embiid, though playing when he's healthy so well, is a lot of the, his, his bad health stems from, you know, it seems like not focused on his prep and his, his uh, conditioning as much. Like, how do you communicate to them? You're one in a million and it's going to be all gone before too long. The one in a million part, right? Because magic has always money and I love magic. I love magic, but magic couldn't play in the NBA today. Right? Could, could, could Magic play for Duke? That's an interesting question. Could Magic today be a starter on a mid-level Division Two team? Talking Magic right now? Yeah. No, I don't think so. You know, he could, he would be a great high school player. Yeah. But doesn't that mean you could play Division Two? See... But yeah. but the fact we're debating is it yeah. high school yeah. or division? Yeah. We're even debating. Yeah. Says level. it's all yeah. gonna go. You know the great line at the end of Patton, the movie about the general. Actually, Francis Ford Coppola, director of The Godfather, wrote Patton, got an Oscar for it. Is Patton won? It was at the end. It was he was being celebrated, and he said that in Rome, whenever a conquering hero would return, you know, like Caesar comes back after conquering the Gauls. They said they'd have a great parade and show all the animals and the slaves they captured from the land they just beat. And the king or the general would be sitting there in gold and robes. But behind him, they said there'd be, you know, an assistant or whatever whispering in his ear, glory is fleeting. And even if you're an emperor in Rome, it's going to come and it's going to go. And these guys, and we're not just talking life and death. We're talking about being at the top. These guys are at the top athletically. And it seems like the cool thing to do is go be mediocre at something else. (laughs) I mean, what are the odds that LeBron James is some kind of amazing TV mind? (laughs) And even if he had the natural talent, how would he compete with someone that spent a whole life trying to pursue that? Maybe Kobe set a bad example by getting an Oscar. Yeah, but was, but but yeah. from what I saw, Kobe, you never doubted Kobe was putting always energy. Oh, I in agree. Basketball. And he didn't start any of that stuff till guess what? He mm. was retired. No, I love. Listen, another time not to feel bad for the players, but let's be honest with ourselves. If you've got that competition every day, and you're the best in the world every or one of the best, and now you're forty five. And you don't have anything to compete with. You got enough money. Now you could go play hopscotch or bocce, but you're not going to be the best in the world. So you're like messing around because you've been at the highest level. And then 
Fez, what are you looking at? You're distracting the hell out of it. Oh, the box score for the game that's over. I mean, what do you, what do you, like, are you trying to prepare for tomorrow's show during this show? No, I was just looking at how Chris Middleton did tonight. So why? I had a, I had a bet on him. And well, go looking. ahead and look. Tell, tell us how it goes. Chris Middleton went, 10, 9, he went four 10, for 12. 7, so 6, Kawhi Leonard 5, shut him down 4, and 3, he uh, went 2, way under his 19 1. half points. Sorry. And that's what you expected? Yes, it was. All right. Is there anything else you need to look? You got to check your email? No, I'm good. Okay, thanks. I mean, you, you think if I'm carrying the weight telling a story, you just kind of listen. All right. He doesn't do that much. You know, Fez is. Would you say that you're compulsive? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> hey, he admits it. Yeah. I love it. I'm going to let him go. All right. So anyway, it just, to me, when you think about, and that's why a lot of these athletes get into gambling. Because in a weird way, you think about having some big bats on Middleton's under, for example, is it replicates. It's sports-oriented. Yep. You get, you got the thrills. You know, ah, oh, ah. Oh. And it's kind of, you know, usually not professional athletes as much, but a lot of former high school athletes, uh, like good ones, guys that were all-state or whatever, they, they end up, you know, the gambling gets to be big for them because it kind of replicates that experience. Okay. Anything else on Golden State? All right. Now that we got the final, Faz, all joking. Here's the thing you got to understand, and then we're going to do best bets. Here's the thing you got to understand about. Oh, hold on a second. Sleep? Yes. We we got Ashler on what? What's Ashler got us? He has the Warriors game. You mean tomorrow's game? Yes. Okay, so we'll hold that with the best bets. So we'll have three best bets, and we'll quickly talk about this Milwaukee-Toronto there's two things you can learn from a game like game one. One is, do you reevaluate how good the teams are? Or two is, there's a simple and inescapable mathematics to a series. You've got to win four out of seven games. So even if somehow we upgraded Toronto here, and I'm not saying we would, but maybe. But let's just say it was a tight game and somehow it was a fluke of all flukes Milwaukee won. You might think, wow, Toronto's better than we thought. But still, you'd rather be Milwaukee, a downgraded Milwaukee that has one of the, the four wins they need. So the, the mm. big factor is you need four wins. The thing we're thinking about as a batter is what did we learn from the game? Yeah. And, you know, one thing that stood out, and I got to, frankly, I got to go back and do the research, but uh, Brooke Lopez, the center from Milwaukee, he's been like a no-show in the playoffs, and I saw he just had an enormous game. So I got to evaluate what the heck happened here for Lopez to have such a huge game. And also, I, my, as a guy that's got Toronto in my uh, ticket in my pocket with Fez, is the fact they were in a not a great spot rest-wise and that the game was tied late – you know, but Milwaukee feels like a team that each round that is going to play better as time goes on because they're like a young kid, you know, not a young kid, but like a very talented 19 year old type, let's say playing tennis. Oh, can I really win at Wimbledon? Mm-hmm. And then that first game they're not, or match, they're not so sure, but come third round, it's like, yeah, I'm, I should be here. It feels like Milwaukee gets better as the series goes on. Yes, and also remember they got Malcolm Brogdon, their point guard, back, and this is only his third game back from injury. He had a good, solid second game. game. Um, <clears throat> second game, correct. So Milwaukee, with Brogdon playing well, the buy sign from that sense in terms of their improvement, RJ, improvement from more experience in the playoffs, and improvement with Brogdon, who's been out since the middle of March. If I'm not mistaken, the playoff odds... 
And it made sense when Golden State was down in, or had Durant out and the series was in question against Houston. And it also made sense if you would be uncertain about Durant coming back. But by all accounts, he's back for game three. Oh, no, no, that's not certain at all. There's a major concern Durant's not going to be back till like game five. He's going to be he's not going to be evaluated Uh until after the second game. He might miss the entire series. That's a possibility. It's not likely. Okay, then I guess the numbers make sense. But I saw Golden State plus 125 to win the title and Milwaukee like plus 175. Yes. And then it changed. This is amazing. The odds on Golden State after they won game one. Golden State went back up to minus 200, Milwaukee plus 250. Which sounds like more that the, the, the rumor is Durant's being, getting close. Yeah, so that, that would say that, that um, Durant is more likely than not to get back by games four or five. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Um, Although he's not worth very much. Well, that's the question. But at minimum, he's worth, like now you don't have to worry about, because let's be honest, if somehow... Uh, Curry went down. That's a great point. DeVry got hurt, and he's already had the dislocated finger and the knee issue. Golden State would be dead without Durant. All right, guys. Great stuff. And remember, if you want the more day-to-by-day stuff, Fox Sports Radio, 200 200 stations nationwide live. Also, podcast, iHeartRadio app. And I got to be honest, Fez, Brad, Daryl's been helping, Sleepy, Mackie. The quality... And again, I'm not, you know, through all the humility, I'm not afraid to take credit. These guys have stepped up their game. And uh, I feel like I've done, you know, as well as usual, which I think is pretty good. But the, to me, the the incremental increase in SOV straight out of Vegas has been from the team. And, and, and I don't see any stop to it. I feel like it's a good trend line. So if you haven't listened, check it out. It's daily. And the podcast is only 40 minutes. So it's like a great ride, next day ride to work kind of thing. Search for RJ Bell. Find both this podcast to subscribe to free, the Dream Preview, and straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. One commercial, and then best bets, that's it. I mean, talk about a good tease. Just one commercial, guys, today. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? You can get an offer for your car with True Car. That's right. And the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a true cash offer. Best of all, best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions. And you'll get an accurate true cash offer from the local true car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you bring your car in. They'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions, get the answers you need. So there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check, the chatter baby, or trade in your car for a new ride. So, when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. First time ever. I mean, think about it. How often? I mean, Brad, when you were 
24 and that first time with a girl. I mean, that, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jeez. I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to say that. And you're off about five years. Ah. I, was, I was 29. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. So it, it deserves something a little special. This is the game that people are going to talk about for years to come. Best bet. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Even with all this, we can't, we can't be wrong nor do wrong by our girl. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. All right, we're going all the way to week one NFL here. And I love this pick. That's why I'm giving out four months in advance. I'm taking Houston plus seven over New Orleans. And it's strictly a play against New Orleans for a couple of factors. Number one, I think we get a little bit of a free roll here. Let me explain. Drew Brees, quarterback for New Orleans, at the end of last season, didn't look himself. First first 10 games of the season, at, if you look at QBR, Drew Brees played at a 90 or above seven of those 10 games. Last seven games, Drew Brees, not one game played at a 90 or above level. Was Drew Brees hurt? Or have we started to see, with Drew Brees being 40 years old, the deterioration of a Hall of Fame quarterback, much like what we saw Peyton Manning go from the best season in NFL history as far as passing two years later? I mean, he's a well below average quarterback. I think that's a little bit of a free roll on Drew Brees. Second factor for me is maybe it's kind of like the Super Bowl hangover, the loser hangover effect. All the talk in the offseason for New Orleans has been about the official, the missed call. We had the chance. We had a chance to get to the Super Bowl and let it slip it through our hands, not because of what we did. It's because of a referee call in the NFC Championship game against the Rams. And for whatever reason... You look at last year, New Orleans was coming off that Hail Mary loss the previous year in the playoffs to Minnesota. Seemed like it impacted them early. They lose outright at home, 10-point favorite against Tampa Bay. Almost lose the next week outright early uh, as an 8-point favorite against Cleveland. And then I started looking. I'm like, wow, seems like the Saints don't start off the seasons too well lately. Last five years, the Saints, first two games of the season, the Saints one and nine straight up, one and nine against the spread, failing to cover by nine points per game, doing a little bit of reading, RJ. It seems like, you know, Drew Brees is a very accurate passer. The timing of the offense and his pinpoint accuracy and the timing seems to be off at least early on in the season. For those reasons, I'm taking Houston plus seven over New Orleans. Hmm. I never heard that theory about the Saints, meaning last year it was making the rounds about the early season. I never heard it was about timing and breeze. I wonder if you looked at that and you looked at, and maybe do this as a little something, not for next week, but for the season. Because the first two weeks, if you got Saints are going to be a well-bet team. If you, as you know, Brad, if you look at the spread in total, you can impute what the impute what the uh, score is supposed to be. Yep. Right. If it's 48, you know, uh, 44 and minus four, it's going to be 24, 20 is what's projected. Yep. Right. Did the Saints fall short on their scoring side or their defensive side okay. in those games. Is that a good way to do it, you think, Fred? I, I, th- I think so. And remember, when we were talking about the Saints and how bad they were playing, it was that defense that we talked about, how they'd gone from being a bad defense to, like, in, in steady improvement. Yeah, and I remember this year there was a— They were horrible to start the year on defense. Yeah, if I remember, they, they won that second game, like, 39-34 or something. So that made me think. But I agree with you— 
The Saints, whatever reason, the Saints have started slow. They might have some Belichick New England in them recognizing. Yeah, but it's it's one it's one thing to go three and one in September. It's another to lose all these games. Right now, I do disagree with one thing you said. I think an old quarterback, the next year, game one, is better than he was in game fifteen because there's two factors. One is how much older are you, which if oldness is the problem, age is the problem, then you should be even worse the next year versus how much of it is the accumulation of hits throughout a season in general. Now, obviously, as the years keep going by, they're going to be so old that they're out of the league. But Fez, I've seen in general, even if a quarterback's slowing down at the end of a year and age seems to be related, he's better relatively the beginning of next year. Yes, and the question here with Drew Brees is there was talk about he on, he threw an interception, he got his shoulder got banged up, and was that the play? Was he oh, playing Lord. with an injury? But, but who, you can all you never know. Yeah, I mean, if some guy comes in and has a couple horrible radio shows, you could say, you know, I I think I saw him drinking a beer last night. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe he's an alcoholic now, or it could be he had a couple bad shows searching for yeah, an which seems to be your specialty. But you're right a lot. Just goofy sometimes. Well, what what's say we would expect Drew Brees to be a lot healthier in September than he was at the end of the year last year. But but to me, the the, the factor of how the Saints start the season is is much bigger. Yes. Because even if Brees is a little bit better, he's not. The Brees we saw at the end of last year, I mean, is he even the 16th best quarterback? No, he's just dinking and dunking and, and game manager. But if you ask people right now, where's Drew Brees? He's going to be in most people's top five. Yep. Yes. All right, Brad. It was. I can't quite say it was worth the wait. Jeez. <laughs> oh, but that's a good. Pick. I love the honesty. Ah, no, how could it be yeah. after like the yeah. first time ever? I thought it was good though, and it does. All joking aside, speak to you've really improved as an NFL. I mean, you went from a competent you know, public handicapper on the NFL to, I think, well above that. So kudos. I had to. Well, but that's the yeah. thing. You chose that. Yeah. We didn't force you to come on. I think you ball. hit over 60% last year. I won the right? NFL. Yeah, we, did, we did not force you to come yeah, on. I mean, true. it was a, you wanted the challenge. I do. That's why you got off the farm. <laughs> yeah. All right. We got Astler coming up. Fez, you're first. All right. We're going to go game two, Portland, Golden State. This is a little bit of a derivative bet. It is a derivative bet, RJ. I'm going team total Portland. Over 105 points. So here's my handicap. Portland only scored 94 points in game one. Portland could not hit any of their threes. They're seven for 28. So realistically, how many of those threes would I expected Portland to make? Probably about 10. So that's three more threes. What is that? Three times three. That's nine points. 94. Oh, he's doing my gag now. 94 plus nine. That's only 103. I'm still short of the 105. Where's the advantage here? Well, I really feel where the advantage is is that Portland was gassed from Game 7. They had to play in Denver on Sunday and then wheel back Tuesday, play Game 1 against Golden State, and Portland did not want to run. They felt like their energy was compromised versus a rested Golden State team. They only got, per Brad Powers, two fast-break points the entire game. So, RJ, if Portland shoots threes like they should... And they get, and everything else is equal, and they get just six fast break points. They average 11. And they average 11. So let's assume they only get six. That's all we need. Then they'll score 107, and we'll go over the 105, even with that conservative assumption. That's why he's Fezzik. Good stuff. 
Now, we got Esther coming up, and he actually has the same game. We'll see. Uh-huh. On Twitter, Fezzik, at Fezzik Sports, F-E-Z-Z-I-K, at Fezzik Sports. Brad Powers, famous. Brad Powers 7. Who knows what it means? Now, Uncle Dave, as we call him. Old, old as the hills. We don't discriminate. <laughs> Doesn't matter how many creases you have in your face. If you can win... You have a home. Oh, and if I can put up with you. There's two criteria. (laughs) A lot of handicappers. That second one's the problem. (laughs) But as we like to say, Uncle Dave's been winning since Moses wore short pants. Let's see what he says. Golden State, Portland, NBA Western Conference, game two. I love the over. Game one opened 216, climbed all the way to 221 at one point. And look at game one, score by quarter, 50, 49, 49, and 62. They still hit 210 points, which is only a few possessions shy of the opening number. Game two opened just two points higher. And now I think people are scared since we haven't seen it over in some time. Do we think Lillard and McCollum are going to combine for less than 36 points again? No, I do not. Do we think Golden State's bench is going to shoot 55% again? Well, quite possibly. Kerr said he wants to go 10 or 11 deep in each game. And look at the Warriors' history. Clippers series, game one under, game two way over. Houston series, game one under by 20 points. Game two, they open an almost identical total. It goes over. History repeats itself. This series, game one, under. Game two, almost identical total. Game two, over and out. Ooh, that was clever. <clears throat> Here's what I'll say. This is old school. But game two's got an offensive advantage, too, because they're playing on the same court for a second time. So even though you've been to that court because it's in the same conference, you're not that familiar with the sight lines and stuff. Another reason I think scoring tends to go up a little in the game, too. Any other thoughts, Faz? Well, obviously, if I like the Portland yeah. team total over, it's correlated with Dave's game going over. I liked his analysis. Dave Esser on Twitter is Dave underscore, underscore Esser, E-S-S-L-E-R. Guys, we're over two hours. I don't know if there was, there was probably three minutes in there we could have clipped out. But this was just, this was like a meat sandwich, double hero, as Colin said. <laughs> and... You know, we're not too far from starting to talk more football. Great stuff. Thanks for the support. I'm RJ Bell. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for RJ? You can contact him directly on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.